Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops Podcast. We are back after a week's hiatus. A lot has been going on in the world. Um, the NBA is officially back July 30th. My friend, Mr. Armstrong, how are you today? I'm doing well, and uh, I'm really looking forward to our guest today. The classy, the one, the only, Mr. Antonio Davis. And uh, he is one of the classiest gentlemen you know, I ever had an opportunity to play against and uh, really looking forward to our conversation with him uh, later in the show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, he's somebody that I've admired from afar for a long time, and I know his great work continues off the floor, which we'll get into today. Uh, real quick, before we pivot to the big fella, um, now that the news is official, the league coming back in Orlando, um, you know, I, I know you're, I know you're, intertwined in many ways with what you do every day. Um, what's the vibe of the basketball world from where you sit as we're now a month away from the return? Well, I think there are two words, health and safety. I think we'll stand at the forefront of everything moving forward. This situation here, um, everyone is trying to figure it out. And um, there's a lot of uncertainty, Eric, as you know. And I think every player will have to make their decision on whether to or to not return based on their own, uh, you know, gathering of their information and do what's best for them. So um, I know Commissioner Silver and everyone are remaining with that in mind. And I think uh, Adam Silver and, and the NBA are all concerned uh, and trying to do everything they can to make sure that you know, they have everything in place as best they can at this particular time to make sure that the health and safety of the players that will be playing down there in the bubble will be at the forefront. And, um, and we'll see how this turns out. So, BJ, as we've been doing the show, and um, if I didn't say it earlier when we opened this episode, it's uh, it's nice to be back, buddy. It's been a minute. I feel like when we take a week off, it feels more like three. I think that's a that's a credit to our, our on mic chemistry, but, um, you know, I'd be lying right now if, uh, I didn't say I've been missing our back to the nineties and our guest today from, uh, all of our existences, uh, whether it's you playing against him and getting to know him, myself watching from afar as a fan, um, him wearing my favorite Jersey number as well, him torturing hmm the New York Knicks, whose fans tortured me as a kid, as a Celtics fan. Uh, I am thrilled 
to welcome to the show, Mr. Antonio Davis, joining us today on the Pure Hoops podcast. Uh, first of all, Antonio, how are you doing? And uh, what has life been like for you uh, in this uh, this strange, quote-unquote, new reality world? Man, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's been a little crazy, as I'm sure everybody's kind of been going through, trying to navigate these crazy circumstances. But um, for me, about six or eight months ago, about eight months ago, I moved back to my hometown, uh, the Bay Area in Oakland, California. And, uh, you know, I think my my mission when I came back was to kind of get settled in and start figuring out how I can roll up my sleeves and help my community because in the years that I've been coming back and forth, it was pretty obvious, you know, the homelessness and stuff like that was kind of running rampant through Oakland. Um, and I, I hooked up with a few organizations and the one that I've connected with now is called Coaching Core. And what they do is they literally coach people to go out and volunteer. They connect them to other organizations. So before COVID hit, I, I connected with them because I was going to be a part of kind of teaching dads how to coach their kids and you know, things of that nature, because I, I did it with my kids and everything turned out okay. Uh, but, you know, when they cut all the um, youth sports out, um, they had a need for people to volunteer at some of the food banks and churches and community centers that were giving away food. Um, and then from there, I got contacted by a few friends out here who had an opportunity to give away a lot of produce. So the government bought produce from the farmers kind of in Northern California and some other areas uh, uh, on the West Coast. And they literally were contact uh, contracted individuals to give away that food. And, and I um, happened to know some, some people that were in charge of giving the food away. So long story short, in, in the last probably four or five weeks, we've probably given out about 115,000 pounds of produce uh, wow. by literally going and grabbing a truck and, you know, renting a truck and getting some young guys, some young college guys, some muscle behind us, and, and literally going to different sites and, and kind of dropping off produce. And it's been crazy, man. To, you know, before COVID hit, it was already bad. And, and this just kind of magnified everything. But I've seen people time and time again kind of come together and help people in need. And it, and it's just been a great testament to the city that I was born and raised in. I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you're able to do this work and, and hoping this is one of many conversations, uh, you know, we can, we can have about community work and how to utilize yes, resources sir. for people. Um, I can't imagine what you're learning about communities that were already short on either resources or the ability to get yeah. food like this and then what the realities are now. And, uh, yeah. you know, before, before BJ chimes in, I, I, something I've been thinking about a lot is how the role of sports in terms of one's values and philosophies and lessons learned can really help in times like this, whether it's leadership, mm -hmm. whether it's team building, whether it's communication. Yeah. Do, you often, do you often find yourself going back to those skills and that muscle memory when doing this work? 
Oh yeah, man, it's it's been phenomenal, and that that's been a thing uh, of mine, and, and why I wanted to help this organization when you talk about coaching, because to me, uh, no matter what the level is, coaching is so important. But when you look at our young kids today, coaches play such a pivotal role. I'm sure BJ has a coach that he can tell a story about that kind of helped mold him as a young man or as a basketball player, as a, as a man. Um, so to be able to, you know, um, tap into that and help these young college guys that I have with me or to go into the community and kind of kind of be humble and serve and rally people around there's a need at a food bank uh, um, or there's a need at a community center has has just been great man and they and they've been some long days but you know just like getting in the gym and, and lacing them up and getting that work in and feeling good afterwards uh, that's kind of what it's been been about on a whole different level so I'm glad that I was, you know, had the opportunity to play professional sports and kind of teach my kids uh, and raise them in in the, in the game of sport. But you learn so many things, man, that I think all kids should play some kind of sport. doesn't matter what it is because you learn so much about life, you know, playing sports. So I'm excited about, you know, being able to do that. Antonio, again, I want to thank you again for, for coming on the show and, and you and I have known each other for quite some time, but, but Eric mentioned yes, something in the nineties, right? The physicality of the game. And I remember many of screens that Mr. Davis would set on little guys <laughs> like me. And he took great pleasure in doing that. <laughs> and he's still smiling about it. Cause he knows there's nothing I can yes, do. Yes, but, when we, but when we first met each other, I think our first encounter was at the university of UTEP. I think we played each other in the yeah. NCAA tournament with Tim yes, Hardaway we did. and yeah, we a did. good friend of mine of Chicago. So share a little bit about your college experience and when did you realize in your story that I have a chance to play in the NBA because you had a, a stellar career, you, was a, you were an amazing player. And when did that all happen for you where you said this could be, this could be a reality for me? First of all, man, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but I learned so much watching the last dance it, it, it was crazy bro i when i saw that part about you i, I have forgotten all about that you going to charlotte coming back playing i've forgotten all about that bro that was that was nice i, looked, I was like look at my guy going back playing the old team and getting at him, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So I, I knew what you were going through. I was like, man, I wish I was on the team with him, you know what I'm saying? Brother needs some help out there, you know? But uh, that, that was awesome watching that, man. But, uh, yeah, college, man, for me, you know, it was crazy, BJ, because I never went to a basketball camp or nothing. I had one shot. We went to what's called the BCI tournament out in Phoenix. And um, I, I almost didn't go. Gary Payton's dad kind of, you know, pitched in some money and Gary begged people to kind of help me get out there, man. And that really changed the course of my life. Before I even got home, I had, you know, colleges sending me letters to my house. And my mom was, you know, going crazy like what are, what are you doing out there in phoenix you know there's so many good things that are happening but uh getting to um 
getting to El Paso, playing for legendary coach and Don Haskins, man, I remember him telling me, hey, I'm going to teach you how to play defense, and if you do that and learn how to do that, you'll, play, you'll be able to play basketball for as long as you want to, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I, I can remember days in college where I'm literally guarding Tim Hardaway with my hands behind my back, like full court, you know what I'm saying, falling on my butt, getting up, you know, and my only goal was to stay in front of them or make them change directions or whatever. And this is, we're talking about one of the best, you know, guards in the country at that time. But um, forcing me to do that, man, really kind of paid some dividends because once I got to the league, I understood kind of, you know, hedging on that point guard and keeping them in front of me until the guard recovered and then getting back to my guy. Um, so I, I don't know that I would have, had the career that I had without a Tim Hardaway and a Don Haskins and that whole situation um, for me. But um, I, I really didn't, man. I went to college, and the only thing I really wanted was to get an education, come back to Oakland and give me a good job and live a good life. That's it. And I got to, you know, playing with Tim a little bit and getting a little bit of notoriety. And uh, the crazy part was he left my junior year and the more I, I, I tell the story, I'm like, I should have left with him because I didn't realize point guards make your life so easy. And once he left, I had to learn how to really play, like throw the ball to me in the post and try to do something with it. Because with Tim, you just got to a spot. He was going to give you the ball, and all you had to do was lay it up or dunk it. Um, and then when he left, it was, it was a whole new ball game for me. And I think that's why I, I decided to go overseas before I went to the league is because I just felt like I had to learn how to do more of that, not not depend on my point guard so much to be such a pivotal part of my offensive game. Um, I had to learn how to go play. Yeah, and, 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 and Tony, when you went overseas, when you went overseas, mm-hmm. I want you to talk about two things, really. When you went overseas – you know, yeah. because that's a that's a different game, right? It's more finesse, yeah. more you know, you bigs working on their skill. But then when right. you come to the NBA, I mean, you seem to thrive in the conflict of playing like a true big. I mean, right. you were a very physical player who played that way, and you and Oakley and all of you, Buck Williams and all of you guys. <laughs> I mean, you. I mean. I don't. I, it was just like that's how the game was played, right? I mean, right. I was gonna cut through the. Right. I was gonna cut through, and you were gonna hit me, and it was understood yes. that that's how the game was played. Right. But you thrived in. Right. How did yeah. you make that adjustment from college, Europe, and all of a sudden you you're 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 thrown in that environment, and suddenly you are one of the best players to play that style. I mean, you guys were terrific there for many years in Indiana and uh, you were right there at, you know, knocking on the doorstep. Right. You know, man, to be honest, DJ, it it was such a blessing when I look back on it because I played two years in Greece and then my third year I go to Italy and I play for Mike D'Antoni. And the, the, the great thing about that was we would get up in the mornings. I'd meet him at the gym sometimes. Um, and we would go through some stuff. I uh, sit down, have some lunch. I go home, take a nap, and then come back at night, and we practice with the team. And you know, a whole year of that, man, I was very confident after that season of being ready to go into the NBA. 
it was kind of crazy because I broke my hand towards the end of that season. So I went in the summer league coming out of a cast. I had surgery and everything. Uh, but luckily I had a guy like Larry Brown um, who saw something in me and was going to give me an opportunity to play. Um, and then when I get to the Pacers, I got guys like Masao Thompson and, uh, you know, Derek McKee uh, was traded to us. Dale Davis, um, I, uh, Rick Smith. I got true kind of bigs, um, you know, teaching me how to play that style of basketball. And then you had no choice because you go play, a, you know, a New York Knicks or Miami or any of those teams, and they just had bigs that would beat you up. So either you were going to step up and learn how to play that way and play it well, or you were really going to fizzle out and not be able to play, especially in the East. So I, I don't think I had a choice. It was all a blessing and all kind of lined up for me, and it all worked out. Antonio, to that point, you know, present day, especially the last, I'd say, five, seven years, obviously the perimeter play in the NBA has reached new heights. The, the depth of mm. high-level point guards is at another level. Mm -hmm. Your era that you're talking about, especially that mid to late 90s, early 2000s, the mm -hmm. power forward position is, I think, for, for those that know the game, they realize it, but I think the common fan doesn't realize how physical, how skilled, and how deep that position was. Can you talk about mm -hmm. some of the guys that you would have to face back then, night after night after night? Do you know... I used to hate it, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, every team had this guy that was strong as I don't know what, and for some reason I have to end up guarding him. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> no matter who that's, you know, Michael Cage, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Armand Otis Gillian, Thorpe. Uh, Otis Thorpe. It's like, come on, man. You got to be kidding me. And, and you, and the crazy part was I was always kind of have to take it week by week so you have a week where you're kind of going through Texas and you're like, oh, my goodness, Akeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, and, and Dallas always had a big stiff that you had to run up against. <laughs> so, there was, you know, it, it just didn't matter. You know, wherever we went, every single team just had a bruiser, and I had the Terry Cummings, uh, just you name it, man. Charles Oakley, and, and man, I love – the fact that I got a chance to play with Charles in Toronto. He and Kevin Willis, man, taught me so much about that position and about, you know, the way that they trained every day. Uh, to hear some of the stories about their battles, you know, taught me another level of going out and playing a different way, you know, as a leader on the floor. Like, how do you control or how do you help lead the team from the big man spot, you know what I mean? Because usually the point guard was kind of running everything. But I was able to, you know, anchor our defenses at times because I'm yelling to the point guard, you know, pick left, pick right, go under, go over, and all that kind of stuff. And then offensively, you know, throw the ball in the post, everybody move, and I was kind of running it from there. So to learn that from those guys was just huge for me, man. Again, I just – I just feel I was blessed with the guys that I was able to play with and play around and play against. And it was just a great time of basketball during that time. You know, as a, uh, as a filmmaker, I, I would love some footage of you, Kevin Willis and Charles Oakley in a weight room, just to see what that would look like. 
<laughs> First just, of all, just to see how, how, how many how many how many dumbbells will be eaten and thrown in that window. <laughs> um, hey, brother, I'm telling you, I would go in there with them guys. I'd be like, no. I went in there a few times, and I was so sore for days on. I was like, I can't lift with you guys, man. That's just. I can't do it, man. Those those guys are at another level. I'm telling you. I, I can't even imagine. You know, and and you know the other thing that I, I just want to get into about the power forward position. And uh, a few days ago was 25 years since uh, KG got drafted out of high school, and mm. um, yeah. I, I'm lucky, I'm lucky enough to be working with him on his film. And the one thing he talks about a lot is the battles with Weber. Rashid, mm. Dice, mm-hmm. Dirk mm-hmm. comes along. What, what was mm-hmm. it like from your perspective going up against the bruisers and then seeing the evolution of the position happen where now you've got these guys who are strong, agile, highly skilled and facing you up and posting you up? What was that, what was that change like at the position? You know, that was, that was tough for me, man, because – you go from, you know, one night having to play against a, a Patrick Ewing who you knew, uh, you know, a New York Knicks who it was going to just be a physical game. Obviously, those guys are skilled, not taking anything away from them. But then you go and you play a Washington Bullets at that time, you know, with a Chris Weber and a Juwan Howard, and it was a totally different game. You know, you're, you're talking about being more positioned and, uh, and giving them some space, they can put the ball on the floor, you know, they can rebound the ball, take it the length of the floor. They were great passers, they were super long, can shoot the ball. There were so many different things that, that they can do um, that you almost had to, um, um, I, I know I did, uh, in practice having to start running around chasing, you know, smaller guys, learning how to play the position out on the perimeter because you weren't just going to be playing with guys with their back to the basket. Uh, a Tim Duncan was a perfect example. He can play with his back to the basket and face up kind of in the, in his sweet spot, and you were just kind of at his mercy. You know, whatever he wanted to do, he was going to do. Uh, for me, it was like just take something away. Don't let him have all the options. Um, and and, and it was, it was – I, I bet you during that time, I fouled out of more games trying to figure that out than anything because I was just so used to, you know, guys playing with their back to the basket. Hey, take something away or make this shot tough. You knew they were going to have to turn, you know, shoot some kind of turnaround, fade away, up and under or something. But when guys started facing up, man, it was, it was a whole different ballgame. Antonio, did you, did you see at the later parts of your career that the position was changing, right? Could you talk about these mm. players? the Carl Malone's, the Tim Duncan's, the Chris Webber's, then you suddenly you see KG and then you start seeing Rasheed Wallace and, you're, mm. and then Dirk Nowinski comes on. When did you see this kind of shift, if you will, in the, in the forward position? Because you play the forward position and the center position. When did you see this? Yeah. Well, that's when it started kind of separating because for a while when we played, you know, that four or five position was more kind of the same. Um, and then when you think about it, some of those great teams that had great centers, that four guy was like, uh, like what they call a stretch four. Now we had Derek McKee who can play every position, but he was a great four because you can put him at the top of the key and run your offense. 
you know, or you can put him in the corner and he can feed the post, the post, and you know he can shoot, shoot the ball, so you couldn't sag off of him. But now when you got, you know, the Robert Ories of the world playing mm-hmm. the four, stretching everything out, uh, you couldn't double team or you couldn't help off. Um, I mean, and, and you, you know why Houston then will win a couple of championships because they can spread the floor with four guys on the perimeter, put Akeem in the, in the post, you couldn't help out. It was just a one-on-one game. And then when you tried to go help, he'd throw it out, and they had such phenomenal shooters that you just weren't going to, you know, you weren't going to beat them. It was going to be very tough. But, yeah, that that era, man. And, and then LeBron busted on the scene um, and could play so many different positions. Um, and now, you know, leading up to what they call the point forward now, where your four guy can really run your whole offense, bring the ball up, kind of do a multiple of things. So that position is constantly one that I feel like has changed the game. It, it's been the key. Yeah, I was I was going to say, you think about before you got in the league, it's McHale, Malone, Barkley, mm-hmm. posting mm-hmm. up, scoring. Then mm-hmm. through your early career, a lot of bruisers. <laughs> then mm-hmm. comes the face-up era, and then comes all the creativity mm-hmm. with it into then LeBron right. arriving. It's, it, it, it's quite an evolution. And um, I was talking to BJ and Mike before the show, um, obviously last week, um, people celebrating um, Vince Carter as he officially announced yeah. his retirement. And uh, they were yeah. playing one of the Philadelphia-Toronto playoff games. Right. And uh, not only was I watching Vince, uh, I was watching you just smack around Dikembe Mutombo for uh, a few minutes at a time <laughs> in the post. But, you know, that series gets forgotten a, a lot in the uh, in the annals of playoff history. Obviously, we've seen many great seven-game series over the last you know, 20, 30 years. Um, but before we get into some playoff memories, what was it like going to Toronto and getting into that new environment. And then, of course, you know, playing one of the vets uh, who is helping Vince uh, evolve and, and get that team on the map. Man, it, it was it was an awesome um, kind of opportunity for me. You know, here I was at the Pacers, a guy who I felt like, you know, was definitely a big part of the team, but obviously in a supporting role because I didn't start. Um, and, and not that that was a huge deal, but I'm sure BJ can attest to that. There's there's a huge difference between kind of starting a game and being one of the, you know, five, six guys that you knew uh, was going to play and being in a supporting role. So um, I figured going to Toronto, I can look at it two different ways, and I chose to see it as, as a great opportunity for me. Um, and then going there and, and having to play again with Charles and Kevin Willis. Um, and then you have Vince and Tracy. I uh, ended up playing with Dell and Muggsy and Dee Brown. Uh, you know, we, we used to look at each other and laugh a lot of times. Like, man, we, we're just a bunch of misfits out here having fun <laughs> and, and teaching, these, <laughs> teaching these young guys you know, to go out and, and lead and, and be phenomenal basketball players. Um, and and I, I I know I've said it a million times in these last few weeks about, you know, Vince Carter and his growth. And uh, as we talk about the evolution of guys who we 
think are just dunkers. You know, it's like when you see a guy like Vince come onto the scene who's such an athletic talent and dunking the basketball, um, you kind of wonder how long is he going to stay around because people are going to realize just back off of him and let him shoot the basketball. Well, Vince can definitely shoot the basketball, put it on the floor, uh, and do a lot of different things. And then over the years, taking care of his body and constantly changing his game to stay relevant uh, was just a testament to, to him. And, and that's why he's been in the league so long. But um, it was crazy going up to Toronto and the fact that, you know, trying to prove to, you know, that those, those crowds that basketball deserved a place in Toronto going up against, you know, hockey and some of the other sports that everybody was accustomed to watching all the time uh, was interesting for us. And when we took it as a challenge um, to give people something to come out and watch and be proud of, so that first time we played the playoffs outside of, you know, the United States was huge for us and we celebrated it uh, and then, you know, go on to try to try to do more and win more. You know, Antonio, you could see the the excitement, you know, this past year when the Raptors were able to win the NBA championship. I mean, just saying that just yeah. sounds like, you know, just but <laughs> as you can see the crowd. I mean, they have what the what, what they call it, the the the, the Jurassic yeah, Park Jurassic and they yeah, yeah. and all of the things. But when you you know, I remember playing against those teams and I remember watching those teams you guys were very, very good. But mm-hmm. you had those two young guys. You had Tracy McGrady, mm-hmm. who was a young, mm-hmm. and you had Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. I just want to play the hypothetical game. If those guys would have stood oh, together. Oh, man. How good wow. could they have been? I mean, you're talking, I mean, athletically, they both were, like, off the charts in their own way. Tracy is, as, right. you know, I mean, he's off the charts. You had Vince. Yeah. How good could those guys have been if they would have just – Stayed the course. Just stayed the course, man. And it's hard when guys are young and you know, um, no, you don't know who they're, who's in their ear, what their motives are, or whatever's going on. I, I think Tracy wasn't sure how long Vince would stay, or any of anything was could have been the reason. But at the end of the day, yeah, if they would have stayed together, man, can you imagine the two of them on opposite wings mm. or playing a two-man game? or whatever the case may be. Tracy was going to post up any guard, um, so you really couldn't switch that. You run pick and roll with either one of those guys and you tried to switch or do something else, it was over. Um, so they, they, they brought so many options, you know, to our team that I think it was hard for a lot of teams to kind of match up um, because, you know, putting them at the two or the three or the one and the two, uh, created a lot of problems. We can go super big uh, with, you know, uh, have Vince at the two, Tracy at the three, uh, Vince at the one, Tracy at the two, or vice versa, um, and put some put some smaller guys or bigger guys around them, and you you pose a lot of problems for for other teams. But you know that versatility is what makes teams now today, you know, kind of tough to guard and so so crazy to have on the floor. So that team would have, you know, could have transitioned into today's game uh, if those two would have stayed together for a very long time. Now, BJ, they had Del Curry, hands ready on the wing. Yeah. Antonio yeah. rolling down the middle. That would have been 
<laughs> well, a lot of people uh, forget. A lot of people forget. By the time they matched up with Billy and Iverson, McGrady, that was his first year in Orlando. He's not even on that team. So by the right. time you guys beat the Knicks, because you you right. lost, the the Raptors lose to the Knicks in two thousand. And then the yeah. Raptors beat the Knicks in 2001. I believe the closeout game in that series was in New York. Was and in New York, yeah. That sure sets was. up the second round with uh, with Philly, which goes seven. I mean, if T Max stays, yeah. and it's yeah. it's, cra- it's crazy, right? Like he thought he was going to be teaming up with Grand Hill for the long run, right? And then right. there's this Tim Duncan story where they thought they were going to get Tim from to leave San Antonio. Right. And then Grant Hill tragically misses. I, I had to do this for another show. It was like 280 games over four years. Wow. It's just, it just something right. like just mind boggling. And it never happens. Yeah. And because of the mileage that T-Mac had to put on his, um, right. his own tires in Orlando, Right. He starts to break down. By the time he's in Houston, he's no longer the same player. You know? Nah. Right. Nah. It's not just, like that. No, not like that. Not like that at all. But um, you know, it, it's um it, it's great to think about these different iterations of the um of the NBA that many of you experienced where you come in in the early nineties and by the time you leave uh, the, the league has drastically changed. And I, I want to use that as a pivot point to, you know, where we are right now as we're looking at uh, these very strange circumstances that are in front of us and now reportedly finalized for, uh, you know, July 30th. I mean, I, I got to start with this. Uh, if you were an active player right now, where would your mind be in terms of coming back and, and playing under these circumstances in Orlando with, you know, with, with both of these major things in our society happening on one hand, it's yeah. social justice, equality and solving these problems, which have been going on way too long. And the other is of course, it's this uh, COVID-19 um, situation that continues to be a nightmare. Yeah. I, I feel in this particular situation it's it's obviously tough for a lot of different reasons but um i think for me it would be you know my safety my family's safety and things of that nature making sure we educated ourselves as much as we could and trying to make a decision on whether or not you know i was going to go back and play um and then while doing that never losing sight as to what's going on and the importance of um, using your platform to continue this movement or voice an opinion. So educating yourself from that perspective as to, you know, what you should be saying and what you should be doing, uh, if that's something you choose to do. I, I don't, by no means do I feel like, you know, every athlete has to, you know, get out there and talk about all the issues. But, um, you know, I was always, told by you know my elders if if you don't stand for something you're going to fall for everything so you have to get out there and educate yourself on something and and have a stance kind of one way or another i think these players today are in a you know a really um you know a great position to kind of do a little bit of both if 
they decide that's what they want to do, if they decide they want to go uh, take, you know, it's, it's going to be some risk. You know, I think we have to trust that the NBA and the MBPA will do all that they can to minimize the risk, but there will be some risk. Let's, let's just be honest about that. Um, and just making sure you're healthy enough to go out and, and play, not put anybody else at risk. And then look at the fact that the numbers are growing kind of in Florida. So that, that then becomes a factor. Um, but I, I just would hope that, you know, this whatever decision is made from the NBA's perspective, each individual guy, uh, the PA's perspective, that it, it comes down to taking the things that matter into consideration, which is the player's health um, and, like you say, what's going on in our society today. What's best for those two things? should factor into the decisions that are being made. You know, you, you've you've always, Antonio, played this leadership role. You've always had this, you know, I admire many years of watching you in the leadership and what you did for the PA for all of those years. Can you share with us and the audience on the difficulty of what Chris Paul and all of those young men are facing as they're trying to navigate this, I mean, I don't know what kind of situation, you know, this yeah. incredibly unusual. I don't know how we want to term it here, mm-hmm. but it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a difficult, it's a difficult scenario, right? <laughs> but yeah, you were is. in those meetings. I was in those meetings. Can you share with us the difficulty that Chris Paul and company are facing at this time? You know, it's, you know, the, the one thing you do, and the reason I, I jumped in is, BJ, after my second year, they came to me talking about decertifying the union, striking, lockout, all this stuff. I was like, whoa, bro, I just got here. Like, what do you mean we're not going to be able to play? I worked this hard to get here. There's no way we're not going to play. So I'm scrambling back to my locker because of all the information that was given out during the year that I didn't read. And, and I'm literally grabbing it all out of the bag and, and reading through everything again to educate myself and realize, like, um, you know, it is my duty to understand the business of basketball and the things that a lot of players before me sacrificed or, or uh, made a decision to do so that I'm able to play this game and, and, and reap all of its benefits. So uh, that's why I got involved with the PA and the business of basketball. And I'm sure, BJ, that's why you were at a lot of those meetings and trying to understand what was going on. So if you had to cast a vote, if you had to figure something out, you were doing it from a place of being educated and understanding what, what was the need. Um, but when you're when you are Chris Paul, and it's not just about you, it's about uh, the majority and the masses, uh, and then you really don't want to forget about anybody. You, you want to you want to bring everybody into the discussion, but everybody's at a different point in time in their career. Um, what's going to be best for the superstars may not be best for you know guys who are on minimum contracts. So you try to take everything into consideration. And even now, like you're saying, BJ, with this this new thing that they're having to deal with, on top of all of the the social social inequalities and all the other stuff that's going on off the floor. It's a very difficult time for a guy like this Paul right now, but I've seen him in action. I've seen him sit down and gather information and make decisions and acts 
questions and make sure that everybody was heard, being very open to everybody coming in and voicing an opinion. Uh, so I tip my hat to uh, what he's done over these years. Um, and I'm sure he's going to, again, uh, step in and, and voice an opinion about what's best for all players, their safety and whatever else that they're talking about. Antonio, I mean, I'm not going to put you on the spot for a prediction, but gut feeling, <laughs> do, do you think do you think they make it through this and and are able to get through the playoffs and crown a champion? What what does your gut tell you? Man, I you know, with I, I think they're going to get through it. The question is, and BJ know this, how ugly is it going to be? You know what I mean? Mm. It's going to be some ugly basketball. Yeah, I mean, you know, to start out, you know. Been um, off longer than a regular offseason at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, been off regular longer offseason. You haven't been able to get together and play like five-on-five five basketball. Everybody's timing is going to be out, off. Um, you know, you get into the playoffs, and I'm well, and it, it is, it's going to feel physically kind of the same. Because I'm sure guys are in shape. I'm not saying guys won't be in shape. I think they understand coming in in shape. But the timing of a lot of things is kind of going to be off, you know. And then, you know, mentally and emotionally having to come into games, no fans, um, and play at at such a high level with so much at stake. Um, You're going to learn a lot about each other, you know, as you play. If you're on a team, playing together because I think this is going to be more of a mental challenge than it is going to be a physical challenge. And sometimes you never know who's going to show up or where your psyche is going to fall on that particular day or that particular game. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who's crowned as champion. It may not be who you think it is. It may not be the most talented team. It may be the team that can stick together as a team uh, and, and mentally and emotionally kind of get through this period of time. You, you know, yeah, about, it's, it's I, it, I'm interesting sorry, BJ, you made. One, uh, BJ, yeah, you go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> go ahead, okay, go no. ahead, go ahead. So you, you Come just, on, you see, you see what I'm saying? You yeah, see how timing is off? Yeah, I mean, we took, <laughs> we took a week off. off a we're, week. We're, we're a mess right now. Um, <laughs> you, you think about the journey through the season, the trust and the chemistry despite the bumps and bruises and obviously in this modern era teams rest guys to get them right and get healthy for the playoffs. But then the crowd, whether you're dealing with, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the toughness of being on the road and, and fueling off of that or being juiced by your home crowd when you're tired and, and you're going through now you don't have the chemistry and the repetition of the season, and you're playing in front of nobody. I mean, it's literally flipping right. the formula on its head, and it's just crazy. To right. Right. And, and what you're going to get with that is you're, you're never going to kind of know the outcome. You know, you may see a, a Lakers team that's stacked, you know, with great players and all of that, you know, come out and struggle against, a, you know, a team that may not be as talented, that shouldn't even be on the floor with them. But when you look up, um, and then, like you say, everything's turned upside down. What are the deciding factors and who's going to step up and win? And, and you just don't know. It's going to be some unpredictable basketball being played. But 
I don't know, maybe to the average fan, that's going to be good. You know, they're, they're going to be starving for some basketball. So we'll see how everybody responds. You know, Tony, you, you, you mentioned here about being in condition. And I, I think these guys, today's player, yes, I do think they work out. And I think they will be in condition. But there's a different thing of basketball condition. And yeah. as a big, you guys, I always looked as a guard on how well conditioned the bigs were because us little guards, we just went three point to three point line, right? You right. guys got to go from baseline <laughs> to baseline. <laughs> and on top of it, y'all are pushing, filling bodies. Do you think that the game, because most bigs, you guys don't like to play in the summer or you didn't like to play in the summer nah. because us little guards, we'd never pass you guys the ball, right? Never, never. Okay, so now all of a sudden, with the conditioning, we don't know the uncertainty how the game is going to be played. Do you? Would you enjoy, or do you think that the game will take on some new form because of one, the, the guys won't be in game condition, and two, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know like how the game is really going to be played. Like you only have three weeks to prepare right. for such a scenario, right? Right. I, I, well. I think coaches are going to be challenged for sure um, to try to figure out what's going to be best for their team. <clears throat> a lot of these teams that kind of play that up-tempo basketball, will we see the game slow down a little bit more? Yep. You know, more like we played, not necessarily the score going down, <clears throat> but, you know, really settling in to calling a play more often, you know, executing because you know – that um, the amount of possessions may not be there. Um, so you're going to have to be more efficient at what you do. Uh, so it, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be very interesting to see, you know, how that happens. But, yeah, from a big's perspective, oh, man, you got to – I don't know how they're going to do it because, again, you can't simulate running up and down the floor, pushing on each other. And even though they don't push as much today, it's still there. You, it may not seem like it, but right. I couldn't play today, man. I just – I know I get frustrated because I'm just so used to pushing and hitting guys and you can't touch them now. But <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the fun part of playing to me. You know, this, this oh, you can't, you can't change their oh, – man, get out of here with that. If you run through the paint, you should be hit. That's the way the game has to be playing. You know what I'm saying? Stay out of there. Stay out of there. I mean – I think I think we're going to see a lot of just hunting for that matchup and going after it. Yeah. And if the, ga- if the game slows down and they allow that playoff physicality, then, you know, we might see a little of that Antonio Davis-like play down there. But, you know, yeah. I, I think they're going to look for it because the, the, the open floor chemistry and that rhythm, that's not going to come back in two weeks of practice in this nah. schedule. I mean – it would be great if it does, but I, I just I don't see it. And you know, you you mentioned the Lakers. Look how long it took the Lakers to really get in rhythm, and they were in great rhythm when they stopped playing. So right, um, right. So what is it going to take to get back, or you know, through yeah. such a short period of time? Because you're talking about a playoff season, not a full season, to have you know that time to kind of get all your rhythm back. Do, do coaches and teams adjust and try to figure out how to get that chemistry as soon as possible? 
And if yep. you do that, that that means you're not running up and down the floor, you know, trying to get as many possessions as possible. It's like you're coming down trying to execute and give yourselves the best chance. And I, I don't know where, if we're going to see the same style of basketball, but, but maybe we will. Maybe, you know, it's so ingrained in what they do now, you know, turn, turnovers will just be up. And the game will just be a little sloppy to start. It'll just get better each and each and every time they go back out on the floor. Who knows? Yeah, BJ, it sounds like uh, my guy Marcus Smart could be getting a lot of post touches. What do you think? <laughs> uh, you know what? In today's NBA, a lot of times I'm watching the game and I don't understand it. So we'll see. You know, you uh, never know. You the, never the, know. The, the bigs are shooting threes and the guards are posted up now. Yep. Like, hey, you know what about that? Man? Who yeah. would have thought that, BJ? Come on. Now. So, 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 in the spirit of that, Antonio, quickly, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna go back to uh, a time when, you know, court spacing and positional play made sense. Um, and one thing we've been doing without having the uh, the playoffs happen when we're all used to it, and my 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 mind and body is still very off without NBA playoff basketball in June. Um, it's, right, uh, right. it's very strange. So, you know, we realized through just conversations and, you know, historic discussions, we've had this unbelievable 40-year window since Bird and Magic came into the league where we celebrate, wow. obviously, great players, great moments, great finals, but we forget there have been some unbelievable conference finals that have fallen through the cracks. And... Right. um I want to go back to two in particular that you were a part of. First, um, the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals, Indiana Pacers versus New York Knicks. And, you know, in the 80s, we had the passing of the baton, Sixers to Celtics, Celtics to Pistons, Pistons to Bulls, and then came the the 90s challengers, and the Knicks and the Pacers represented so much of that in, in the 90s. Um Jordan's gone that year. BJ, obviously, in the middle of it with the Bulls. You guys taking a big leap forward. Uh, what do you remember about that playoff run in particular with the, the 94 Pacers that led to that Knicks matchup? Again, man, I, I, I just felt blessed to kind of be in that situation. I'm learning each and every time that I, I get out on the floor. I'm surrounded by, you know, true true veterans, and understand how to come in and be professional each and every day. Um, so it's just becoming a part of, you know, kind of who I am. And when you get to those moments, when you feel like you, you know, are starting to settle in to everything and then the playoffs hit, you know, and it's a, it's a whole new season. Each and every game is, is, is sort of heightened in a lot of different ways. And although it's a series and you got to win, you know, some games to move on, um, you know, just that momentum of playing each and every game brings on its whole deal, you know. And, you know, there wasn't social media and all of that. So you try to limit, you know, what you were kind of seeing, you know, throughout the media and not read the newspaper as much. Uh, but it was it was a phenomenal time, man. I, it, I don't even know if you can kind of ever describe it. You know, I think um, – I can only imagine and I didn't get a chance to play in the finals with the Pacers because that year I left and went to Toronto. Uh, but I knew the work that it takes to kind of get there and then finally kind of get over that, that hump when a conference 
kind of title and then try to regroup and go back and play again is it, just very difficult. And, and that Bulls team, man, that did it so many times and all the guys who have done it so many times, man, I, I tip my hat because you get to the end and you don't know, you know, getting up that day, how you're going to go to practice or go to a shoot-around or plan a game. Uh, but, you know, you kind of will yourself to do it, and, and there's just nothing else like it, nothing else like it. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that again in your life. You know, looking at that in that series, I mean, the physicality clearly speaks for itself. But what do you recall about the chess match between Pat Riley and Larry Brown? Um, wow. Playing for these Hall of Fame coaches that you guys were playing in in the Garden and so forth, and I remember the big thing with Spike Lee and all of that stuff in Indiana. <laughs> right, so, yeah. I mean, what do you recall most about the about those series, <laughs> other than the physicality of the game? Because that was a it was a, it was a lot of uh, touching bodies, as we as we'll say back then. Right, right. You, you know, BJ, the, the crazy part, and you know this is a lot of times. You know, coaches will come in and they'll throw in a wrinkle here or there. Um, they'll switch kind of defensive schemes a little bit. But at the end of the day, it just came down to guys coming out and performing. You know, we, we, we knew what it was going to take, but how well were you going to execute? Um, how well were you going to show up and, and kind of mentally not just go through the motion but understand what it was going to take. Because if you were supposed to rotate at a specific time and you didn't do it, it can cost you a bucket. That bucket could cost you the game. So you just had to come in and kind of be prepared to deal with all of that, um, along with just the hype of playoffs itself. Um, but it, it was a challenge, man. It was a challenge that you kind of welcome and you want it, um, and you never knew what was going to happen. But each and every – I guess each and every time, you know, after you win a game or lose a game, there was going to be an adjustment, and you just had to come to practice and just kind of be ready for, for you know, whatever the coach was going to kind of throw at you that day. And Larry Brown, man, was, to me, one of the greatest at it, you know, making those defensive adjust, adjustments or offensive adjustments to, you know, kind of give us a little bit of an edge. But, you know, we ran into some great players and some great teams. And, and unfortunately, you're not able to get over that hump. Antonio, game five of that series, Madison Square Garden, tied mm -hmm. at two. I'll never forget this. I'm 16 years old, and through three quarters, that game just – it stunk if you were a Pacer fan or just not rooting for the Knicks. And I, I remember, like, <laughs> thinking, I'm like – Am I going to shut this off right now, or am I going to stick with it? Right. And thankfully, I always stick with games. Right, and right. What went, on, what went on next, I still can't believe. I still can't believe it when I watch the highlights. I still can't believe it when uh, the 30 for 30 came out. Uh, right. What was it like being part of that and just being with Reggie and, and all of you guys and what that fourth quarter was like? Everything from the fans to Spike to – pulling out that game man it was it was crazy and I, and I think if I'm not mistaken one of my normal I got kicked out of the game I think um somebody somebody pushed me and I pushed them back or somebody pushed Reggie or pushed somebody and it just wasn't gonna happen 
But those are the sacrifices we were going to make, man. Playoffs or not, you know, I, I knew where my bread was buttered. You know, Reggie Miller had to get open and knock down some shots. So <laughs> no matter what was going to happen, you know, it was my job to make sure that he was free and he could roam around as much as he wanted to. Um, and it was kind of crazy, man. We knew a lot of times that we were never out of games, you know, we would we would sit there and it'd be fourth quarter. You'd be down nine, and you wouldn't even be worried about it because you know Reggie come off a couple screens, knock down a couple threes. We get a stop. We right back in the game. So that gave us a lot of confidence to kind of deal with some of the ebbs and flows of going up ten, being down ten, or whatever the case may be. And you knew you just had to step up in those moments and just make plays. And a lot of times we did. You know, we we made sure that we did, but. Reggie, man, just, you know, showed me another level of play. It was almost like he, he was he was better in fourth quarters or in playoff situations than he was in just kind of, you know, regular season games. You know, it was like he was just kind of going through the motion. But the minute it was playoffs or late in the fourth quarter, you know, he'd just kind of sit there and his eyes would perk up and he had this newfound energy. Um, and it, it taught you a lot about being ready for those big moments, man. So I learned a lot from that guy. Yeah, and seeing how you guys progressed in the years after that, um, you know, that game six back in Indiana and then, of course, the game seven mm-hmm. at the Garden, you know, right. they, don't, they don't go your way, but how much mm-hmm. did you guys learn from those experiences against the Knicks that helped propel you to becoming an, an even better basketball team in the years that followed? You know, I think it's, you know, once you lose in the playoffs, um, you're, you're try, you're, you're, you feel real empty and you start realizing that it's not about um, kind of, uh, you know, you can't go through the motions with anything. Practice takes on a whole new meaning. Um, preparing for games take on a whole new meaning because it's not even about the regular season anymore. It's about, you know, can we challenge ourselves each and every day, each and every game to be as close to perfect as we can possibly be. Like perfect just has to be something you're thriving for or whatever we're shooting for just has to be the norm. You know, we go out and we play tough teams or, you know, we, we, we say that, you know, at home we're going to win you know, four out of five, uh, and on the road we're going to win two out of three or whatever the case may be, you know, we set those small goals and kind of play a game within a game or a season within the season and, and challenge ourselves a lot of time to be to be really good. So by the time you get to the playoffs, a lot of that stuff is just normal. It's just what you do and who you are. And I think that's what you learn by going to the playoffs because um, – you know, it, a lot of times it comes down to maybe a possession or two or maybe, you know, making a mistake or not making a mistake or making a play or two. And, and, and from that point forward, man, things are just different for you. So, yeah, so just fast-forwarding to 98, you know, at this point you guys are a, a different team with some of the additions, Travis Best, Jalen Rose, uh, Mully. Um, yeah, Mark. I mean, Mark Jackson joins the team in '95. Um, right. Obviously, you talked about the last dance earlier, and 
after uh, the Bulls get past uh, the B.J. Armstrong-led Hornets. Uh, <laughs> you know, they eventually meet you guys. And, and the way it's told in The Last Dance with Reggie at the open and just setting the stage for what that series was like, um, you know, was was this, you know, did you guys feel it in in your bones? Did you talk about it amongst yourselves? Like this is, this is our shot to knock off the bulls and yeah. get to the NBA finals. Was, was that the, the clear mission you guys were on with, with of course, coach bird beside you? For sure. You know, and, and feeling really good about Larry bird and, and, and his experience and all that he was bringing to our team. And uh, Rick Carlisle, Dick Harder were our coaches. Um, we 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 went into every game feeling so prepared, every playoff series feeling just unbelievably confident about, you know, what we had to execute and how we had to execute it. Um, so in, in playing, you know, that Bulls team and the way we approached it, you know, it was almost like this calmness we had and this kind of assurance and confidence that we had about it and knowing that, you know, we had a shot. The only way that this wasn't going to go our way is if we somehow screwed it up, you know, because we, we definitely were prepared. We knew we could match up. We knew we had what it takes. Uh, but we also knew that that black cat was on the other side. <laughs> so we definitely had to be prepared to play some of our best basketball, not just for one game, but over, you know, over the course of the series. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we enjoyed every moment of it. You know, again, we find ourselves down 10, up 10. There was no panic or no, no celebration or no nothing. It was just business as usual, taking every possession as just what it was and understanding what you had to do to win a ball game. Um, you know, some of those memories I'll, I'll never forget, man. It was, it was the best time of my basketball career, for sure. Yeah, and uh, let's. I want to close on this one. And BJ, please, please chime in here. Just thinking about your journey, Antonio. You play. So some players dream of playing in one game seven. You've got mm. the game seven in '94 at the Garden, which doesn't go your way. Then you come back in '95, and you guys play a game seven there again, beat the Knicks. Then play game seven against Orlando. Then you're in game mm-hmm. seven in '98 against the Bulls. You're in Game Seven yeah. and one against Iverson and the Sixers. Am yeah. I missing it? Uh, I'm probably missing one somewhere. Yeah, I but think it's it. <laughs> what, 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 what? You know, I would love you guys back and forth real quick. Like, what, what are these Game Seven environments like? Whether you win, you lose, just the stakes and and what the the the, the energy and the environment is like uh, through both of your lenses. You know. It's different, man, when, first of all, you're playing game seven at home or game seven on the road. I, I'll right. start with that. You right. know, I think that, that makes a little bit of a difference. Um, you know, and that's why you play the regular season. You know, that's why it, it's so important that each and every game you play during the season is counted in understanding the bigger picture. So, you know, you can't go, you know, hey, we play – the four games and, and six nights and we're on the road and all of this so we can lose a game or, or not show up. The big thing is about playing in a game seven is, you know, I think Antonio touched upon it. There's regular season basketball. 
there's, you know, playoff basketball. There's even Eastern Conference, you know, level basketball. And then somewhere in between there, there's this championship level caliber game. And then there's like a game seven. A game seven is unlike any other game because you're playing the game for one or two possessions. Because for the most part, I'm going to know the opponent's team's plays probably better than they know, right? We're running our defensive schemes. <laughs> like, you know, Mark Jackson would come up the floor and call three down. Well, we're running three down. We're like, okay, Reggie's coming here. We're going there. And then the only part of this play that's going to work is the, you know, the 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 screen that Antonio's going to, get but he know bill cartwright and those guys are going to be trying to push him off so he can't get the proper angle to actually even resemble something that's called a play that's the difference between winning and losing so you know there's going to be a loose ball where antonio knows and i know that somehow we're both there we got to come up with this ball i don't know how i'm going to come up with it but i got to come up with it and vice versa so the detail that you're playing with at a game seven is so magnified because those jump balls, you know, I remember watching the game against the Bulls. There was a jump ball situation in there. I can't remember what. I think it was game seven, I think, that to me that was a part of the game. And I don't know why I remember that part or, or the game, but there's certain things that you just remember that yeah. those are the winning and losing of the game. And it can be something, you know what, if I could have just jumped out on that screen or there was a rebound that maybe Dennis Robin jumped over the back, tipped it out, and somehow he got to Judd Bushler or, or Steve Kerr, and they hit a shot. Those are the things that win the game or lose the game. Yeah. And if I could have just got that rebound, maybe the Pacers going to win three or in a row. You know, those are the differences. So um, I've been on both sides of it, and um, there's nothing like a game seven because you have so much respect for the other team because you know – that that other team, you're not going to just beat that other team. You know when you're in a game seven, I can be up 10 and the game is still 0-0, and I can be down 10 mm -hmm. and the score is still 0-0 because you know that that other team didn't get to this point without having some type of character. And it's it's just a different ball game, and Antonio's played in more of those games than I have, but the few that I have played in, the respect factor is just – I mean, it's just, you, you know it. I mean, it, it, it always comes down to a possession or two. And, then, you know, yeah, the, you remember the guys who scored a lot of points or did whatever, but it's always just those little things, a, a scream or a rebound or a loose ball or, or timeout in a key situation. So what have you, um, because you know that you could, you could have very much have lost those games as well. Gentlemen, and I know after all oh, those game sevens, I'll say, I'll say, I'll know after all those game sevens, I'll say this. I didn't hardly sleep for like weeks because you, <laughs> you're playing that play. That one play where you didn't step out on a pick or, you know, you fouled somebody when you know you shouldn't have or that happened. You spent a lot of time not being able to get that out of your head. And, it, and you know, you finally get some good sleep, sleep after a couple of weeks. And then it was hard for me. You know, too, in those game sevens where it was, you know, conference championship and we lose, it's hard to watch the final. Like, I don't right. even know how many times that I've actually, you know, watched the finals. I probably had to go back and watch it. 
but not kind of watch it live. You know what I mean? Because you're just you're just hurting. You know, you're like, oh man, this is awful. This, I can't even watch it. But uh, yeah, man, it's 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 very difficult, and you realize, and you kind of know it too in the game when that play happens. Like BJ yep. says, like, yep. you know, you know it. You know what I mean? And, and I almost like I know people. You talk about it all the time, me fouling LJ in that four-point play, I knew that that was going to cost us the series. Like, no matter how much we wow. bounced back, it was one of those pivotal things that happened in that series that turned it around. And we definitely should have won that. I know we should have. We, we prepared, uh, and it was just, you know, it was a bad, you know, still can debate it, but I think it was, you know, it was a bad call that nothing you can do about it. And that's another thing. Sometimes things happen that you can't even control. Uh, it, it may be bad one way or another, but it's just a part of the game. I wasn't going to bring up that play, but. Oh, it's okay. I've, 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 had, I've had plenty of therapy, bro, and I'm, I'm lying. So I'm and, and, as, and as we sit in 2020, it's the last highlight of all Nick fans fandom two decades plus but uh yeah that that three-year run 98 99 2000 and obviously you moved on to to toronto for 2000 but uh those indiana new york matchups were uh those were some special games some special nights at the garden um i was was a media intern back then going to the garden during the summer with a press pass to like stick the microphone in the players faces in the locker room and just being in the building for that stuff was it was unreal. Um, so special moments, but uh, yeah, that that call is uh, let's just call it suspect. Can we agree? Suspect, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'll roll with that. I, I I got a million of them if you'd like to hear them. But yeah, we can we can. Well, <laughs> well the, sure. the, I uh, I, I want us to do this again. I, I want to thank you guys. Uh, yeah. In all seriousness, my basketball soul needed this today. So uh, this was a, this was a great conversation. And uh, Antonio, we're going to stay in touch. I want to hear more about everything you're doing out there in the Bay and, uh, you know, how, how we can potentially all align on something. I think it's very important and really inspiring. So thank you, guys. This was, this was awesome today. Uh, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Yeah, you guys be blessed. And it's, it's definitely an honor, BJ. Love everything that you do, man. Appreciate it. Right, you too. All right, Tony. Be uh, good, man. If you okay. need anything, make and, sure you reach out. Hey, hey, one, one more, BJ. BJ, who who committed a harder foul going down the lane? Number thirty-two, <laughs> Dale Davis, or number thirty-three, Antonio Davis? Antonio, for uh, Dale was nice about it. Dale was like, he would pick you up and go, "Are you okay?" He would like hit you, but he would ask you. Antonio would laugh. See, like he's laughing right now. He like enjoyed it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he enjoyed every moment. He was like, "You shouldn't be here anyway." So you know. Yeah, that, but he, I doing? credit guys like Antonio that that created my game to stop and pop. I could, I, I just gave yeah. up after a while going to the yeah. basket. You know, I just, yeah. So you know, I made his and job easy. Okay made my that. job easy. Yeah, he was yeah. okay with that. See, I'm, I'm glad. Okay. I <laughs> See, he's still I laughing at me. See, I feel like he's <laughs> laughing at me. He's not laughing with me here. <laughs> awesome. Oh, good, man. Thank I love you. it. All right. I love it. Thank Thanks you, again, guys. You okay, guys all right. Blessed, be good. Okay, okay, you too. Take care. Thank all you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed Antonio Davis with BJ Armstrong and I. We obviously really enjoyed that conversation and uh, great trips down memory lane with Antonio along with what he's uh, delving into in the present. 
Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show coming each and every Monday. We've got Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong on Wednesdays. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt Thursdays. And, of course, the Pure Hoops podcast coming to you weekly. The season now a month away. We're going to be bringing you more analysis and uh, looking forward to getting basketball back safely, healthily, and uh, responsibly as uh, we know the NBA is doing their best to bring the game back. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. And, of course, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.